Luke 24, 44 through 46. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. First Samuel seventeen forty-one to 45. And the Philistine move, moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Then the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for this day. Thank you for everyone who's come, and especially visitors and first-time attendees. Uh, Jesus, I just ask that this time would be blessed, that your spirit would be present, and that we'd be focused on you, and that we could worship you as we listen to Brian and your words. Please make us humble and Help us to understand your scripture. Please open our minds and make our understanding better so that we can know you more. Jesus, I pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. All right. All right. Good morning, everybody. I am a... Not the only one having sound issues this morning, Joel. I think I got it, though. All right. Well, if you are new, uh, I just want to say good morning, and I'm glad you're here this morning. Welcome to the Malibu Gathering, and my name is Brian. We are in a short series um, answering the question, what is the Bible primarily about? And uh, if you have a Bible here this morning, um, and you look at it, it's over a thousand pages long really tiny little font, two columns, and just this big book that can be overwhelming, it can be confusing. And so the series is about what is the Bible primarily about? And what I want to show you this morning again is that the Bible is primarily about Jesus. It's what God has done for us. And so this morning, we want to revisit the story of David and Goliath and show you that and how that will then connect to our lives. And so three Sundays ago, we looked at the story of the Exodus. Two Sundays ago, David and Goliath. And so really well-known stories that are in the Bible that are really easy to misunderstand. And so what I've tried to show is that the story of David and Goliath is a story about a man who courageously faces the giant of Goliath, through his faith in God. But if we take that story and see it in the whole theme of the Bible, we can see other things in this story that point us to Jesus. Okay, so here's the story. Story of David and Goliath, if we remember, there's this giant man, Goliath, a huge man who is taunting the nation of Israel and says, hey, you send out one man and I'll fight him. 
will go man-to-man, one-on-one, and whoever wins, the army of the other side will surrender. The Hebrew army will not fight, Saul will not fight, and eventually this young shepherd boy, David, comes out and fights. And he is the representative of the army for the nation of Israel. His victory over Goliath, then, is given over, is imputed, I said, or given credit to the soldiers. David is Israel's representative for the army. And what I've tried to show you is that in the big picture of the Bible, in the overarching theme of the Bible, is that he is a picture of Jesus, that David is a type of Christ, that he foreshadows Jesus, that he's going to point forward. He's going to point forward in the same way that we sang this morning. We sang this morning that Jesus is our representative, that he took our place on the cross. And because he defeated evil, he defeated sin, because he defeated the devil on the cross, that victory then is given to us. And so we want to be thoughtful, we want to be thinking people, we want to understand that the Bible is first primarily about what God has done for us. It is not, it is not a morality lesson. It is not come to church and the pastor is going to tell you how to live life by following these moral rules. It is first and primarily a gift to you, what God has done for you. And so we will look at this story of David and Goliath, and we'll stand back and see how it fits into the overall theme of the Bible. So I think if you have your bulletin, I have just the main points this morning on the bulletin. And I will tell you this, that every Sunday, whenever, uh, the, whenever I get up here or somebody else gets up here, I think every time we come up here, we have this feeling inside that says, this is really, really important. That what I want to share with you that is this morning is so important, and it's not because of what I'm saying, but because of what the Bible teaches about life. And so, this is what the Bible is all about. The, the Bible will answer some of the most difficult questions in life this morning. Okay, and so we'll start with this. We'll start with a question of this. Why is the world the way it is? Why is the world so dark sometimes? Why is the world filled with problems? Why is the world the way it really is? And, you know, if we, let me think, put it like this. Marriage has been around for a long time, and we still screw it up, right? Raising kids, people have been raising kids for a long time. It's still really difficult to raise kids. Do you know that between three and 4,000 churches close every year? We've been doing church for a long time, since right after Jesus left the earth, and churches still struggle. This week on the uh, front page of the LA Times had a story about homelessness. Dramatic increase in LA County for homelessness. It's been around for a long time. We still can't solve the problem. All you have to do is read the news. Headlines of the news this week, um, race riots, problems in Baltimore. Most people, maybe you are aware of this, but there were race riots there in the 60s. Over 40 years later, still problems. Poverty is still a problem. We have these problems that just continue. 
And the Bible says this very clearly, that part of the problem is that our world is filled with problems that are multidimensional, that they're not just purely human problems. Listen, if, if marriage was just a human problem, somebody could write a book, right? Uh, this many years of people being married, couldn't somebody come up with a book that would just make it all work? Right? Raising kids. That's tough. Somebody by now could have written a book that would say, go step one, step two, step three, and your kids will turn out perfect. It doesn't exist. The complex issues, the complex problems of the day are multidimensional. The headlines of CNN yesterday, USA kills top ISIS leader. Killing, killing terrorism. We just think, and you don't have to think, I just looked at the news just thinking about this week. And the Bible's going to answer this question, answer the problem, this multidimensional problem by saying this, that the problems that we face in the world are not human nature alone. That there is more to the problems we face in this world than just our own human nature. And Jesus is going to say exactly the same thing. So if you have your Bible, it's also on the bulletin, I believe. But he's going to say some pretty startling things. This is Luke chapter 11. And the context, Luke chapter 11, the context is Jesus had just cast out a demon. And there's argument about it. The Pharisees are arguing with Jesus and accusing him of casting out this demon by another demon. And so here's what Jesus says. This, is, this, this will shape our view of the multidimensional problem of the world we live in. And I will start in verse 20. This is Jesus speaking. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And now he's talking about Satan. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. That should cause us to pause for just a moment. That is referring to Satan. That the devil, Jesus, according to the words of Jesus, that when the strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, that's the world, his goods are safe. That there is a spiritual dimension to our world, according to Jesus, that the enemy has his hands on. And then Jesus goes on and says this, but when one that is stronger than he attacks and overcomes, then he attacks him and overcomes him. And he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Jesus is talking about himself. There is only one person that is stronger. And his name is Jesus. Let me just give you a couple others just for example this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Evil is multidimensional. Let me connect this now to David and Goliath. I said a couple weeks ago that Jesus is the true David. 
that Jesus defeated our ultimate giants. That the story of David and Goliath is not, and here's what we like to do, we all want to be David. We want to be the hero. We say, God, help me fight my giants. And what I want to propose to you, and I think when you see it in the scheme and the theme of the whole Bible, no, actually we are more like the Hebrew soldiers who are paralyzed in fear because the ultimate giants can have power over us. And what I want to show you this morning is that the ultimate giants were defeated by Jesus. The ultimate giants of sin, of death, and Satan were defeated. That we need somebody. We need somebody stronger than us. Listen, if, if, if we view our life as human problems only, then we can overcome those giants. But if the giants are sin, death, and Satan, we need somebody more powerful than ourselves, that we need Jesus. And what I'm trying to show you this morning is that the problems you face, the problems of the world that we live in, are not human nature alone. That Jesus says this very clearly, that there is a strong man. Paul says in Ephesians that our fight is not flesh and blood, it's a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual evil dimension to the life that we live in. And if we ignore this, we are putting ourselves in a place of defeat. We learn early on in the Bible that evil was initiated by Satan. In the earliest chapters of the Bible, the enemy goes to Adam and Eve and deceives them. He tempts them and says, did God really say this? Is it really true? And we know that it's not true. We know from Luke chapter 11 that Jesus came and he is the one who will defeat the strong man. Here's what we need to understand. The Bible is, wants to be clear about this, and I want to be clear with you this morning. That Jesus at the cross defeats Satan, and he is overthrown, but he is not eliminated. He has achieved the victory, but it has not yet been consummated. That the final victory has not yet happened. And so the world that we live in today is still marred and scarred by sin. Here's one way to think about this. Uh, as, a, as someone who enjoys history, maybe you remember this, but World War II, World War II begins in 1939. Germany invades Poland in 1940, 41. Germany just rolls through Europe, captures Paris, and it's not until... June 6, 1944, that Operation Overlord, the invasion of Europe happens. So the Allied forces of England and the United States attack from the West, and from the East is the Soviet Union. And because of the success of Operation Overlord and the Russian advance in the East, Germany is done. All right? All the generals, if you read history and you enjoy that kind of stuff, all of the historians will say, that because of the success of Operation Overlord, D-Day, and because of the Russian push, Germany has no chance. In fact, they get so desperate, right? If you've read a little bit of history, they call up um, older men, young teenage boys. So in the same way, Satan is defeated, but he's not eliminated. And it turns out one of the bloodiest battles in, of World War II happens. It's called the Battle of the Bulge. Hitler is defeated but he's not done yet. He's still fighting. 
And what I want to share with you this morning is that the ultimate giants that Jesus has defeated of sin, death, and Satan, it has been, Jesus has defeated them. The victory is secured, but the enemy has not yet done. He wants to attack your families, your own, your own self-identity, who you are as a person. I read, um, I'll share something with you this morning. I read a, um, a sermon this week by Tim Keller, and he quoted somebody else. And he quoted, this, is, this will be insightful, I think. He quoted a 17th century Puritan, a guy named Thomas Brooks, who wrote a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. All right, this is from the 1700s. And so Paul even says this, like to be tuned in, be alert that the evil we face today, the problems we face today are multidimensional. And Satan has strategies. He has schemes to derail us. All right? And I think we have a slide for this. There are two ways that the enemy or Satan will attack us. He'll go after us. Number one is through temptation. I think it is up there. Okay? So Satan tempts you, attempts to give you to, this is how he works itself out through temptation. Satan attempts to give you too high view of yourself so, the things, so you do the things you shouldn't do. Satan hides from you God's holiness and how much he hates sin. He plays up the love of God as something that just overlooks sin. And here's according to this Puritan pastor, here's what he says about temptation. Number one, Satan shows you the bait and hides the hook. He shows short-term pleasure and hides long-term misery. Satan will use temptation to derail you, to bring pain and misery into your life. So he'll use short-term pleasure to hide long-term misery. Number two, he will get you to rationalize sin as virtue. I'm not really greedy, I'm just thrifty. He shows you the sins of Christian leaders. He did it too. Nobody's really that pure. He overstresses the mercy of God. Do it. God will forgive you. That's his job. Satan will make you bitter over suffering. I've suffered. I deserve this. I'm going to indulge in my self-pity. Next, Satan shows you how many bad people seem to be having great lives. I might as well do it. Playing by the rules doesn't pay off. Think about the temptation if you're a business owner and other people are taking advantage of manipulating rules to make profits. I might as well do it. Playing by the rules doesn't pay off. Last, how Satan works with temptation. He gets you to compare one part of your life to another. I'm so good over here. I go to church, I read my Bible, I do all these kinds of things, so it's okay if I play with porn on Thursday night. Satan is strategic. Satan wants to derail you, and he uses temptation, but he also uses accusation. I think we have accusation also. Accusation. These are even the names. The Hebrew name and the Greek name are these. These are the strategies of the enemy to tempt you and to accuse you. If he, won't, if he doesn't use temptation, he will use accusation. Satan attempts to give you too low and self-hating view of yourself 
So you do things you shouldn't. Satan hides from you God's love and plays up God's holiness and wrath on sin. And here's how he works this out. He causes you to look more at your sin than at your Savior. He causes you to obsess over past sins that have done damage that can't be undone. This is how Satan accuses you. He makes you think that the troubles you are going through must be punishment. Last, he makes you think that the inner struggles you couldn't possibly be I'll start over. He makes you think that the inner struggles you couldn't possibly be had by a Christian. If you were a Christian, I wouldn't be having these thoughts or desires. <clears throat> this morning, we have to know and be aware that the problems in our life are multidimensional. And they include evil spirits, Satan as our enemy. And only Jesus can defeat the ultimate Giants in our lives. So what does Jesus accomplish on, our <clears throat> on the cross? At the cross, according to Colossians, at the cross, Jesus disarmed and triumphed over Satan and all of his principalities and powers. This is Colossians. It's in your handout. Colossians chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 13. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgotten all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. For he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What does Jesus accomplish on the cross? According to Colossians, he disarms and triumphs over Satan and his principalities and powers. There's three key verbs here I'll just draw your attention to in this passage that Paul writes. He says this, number one, you were dead in your sin, but now you are made alive in Christ. We sing about the cross a lot here. We say it's the centerpiece of the Bible. And what does it do? What does it accomplish? Well, you went from dead to live in Christ. Next, Paul says this, that your record of debt, he canceled it. It doesn't exist. Everything you've done wrong in your past has been canceled. And what I'm trying to remind us and show you this, that the strategy of the devil is to bring up your past, the mistakes you've made, and to accuse you of those things and to bring you down over and over and over and again. And each of us have a natural bent towards accusation or temptation. Next, we see Paul says this, that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he triumphs over them. That is the paradox of the cross. Jesus conquered Satan through the crown of thorns by being publicly beaten and crucified. Paul says that he reigns supreme over the evil spirits of the world. Let me just give you a few more things. These are such important things. I guarantee you that you will not grow and thrive and have joy in your life as a believer if we don't understand what Jesus did on the cross. All right, so number two, another thing that he does is he frees us from condemnation. Turn your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says this. 
What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will not he also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who has raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? Skipping to verse 37. Now, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Jesus did on the cross so that we can live that way. So that we can know this, that the world we live in has multiple dimensions to evil, to problems. And one of those, the Bible clearly says this, is that Satan wants to accuse you and to bring up your past, and to tempt you, and derail you, and make you see Christ as insignificant. And Paul says in Romans that nothing, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. That's what we should wake up each day. That's how we have joy. That's how Christianity produces joy in a world that is broken that is marred by sin. One last thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. These are the ultimate giants that Jesus overcame. He overcame sin, he overcame Satan, and he overcomes death. This is what Paul says about death. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. There is no fear of death. And I can, I'll just share really quick with you. Um, about a year, year ago, my aunt passed away. And it is one of the most beautiful things she was in her 90s, and of course, there was sadness to lose somebody we love. But there was something, I will never forget being with her, and, and there was no fear in death. There is no fear in death. Listen, here's what's funny about getting older. I, uh, yesterday, Friday morning, I was playing basketball. A guy threw a pass to me, and I, I ran went right off my fingertips and went out of bounds. And I said, man, if I wasn't 44, I would have caught that ball. <laughs> 24, I would have caught it. Here's what happens. You don't know this when you're in your 20s, but it starts happening somewhere, I don't know when, 30s or 40s. You, you, your body starts changing, right? But inside, my aunt, 92, full of life, her body was broken down, her body was dying. But on the inside, doesn't matter how old you are, you have the joy of Christ in your soul, who you are. That's what it means to be a Christian. We don't, we don't, I don't fear death. 
death is not natural. Death is the result of sin, but it will be conquered. We get new life. There's no sting in death because we are raised with Christ. Christ conquers Satan at the cross. He conquers death at the cross. And he conquers the power of the old man, the flesh. Romans chapter 6 says this. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has set us free from sin. Jesus accomplished everything we need at the cross. And that's why we say the Bible is primarily about Jesus and what he's done for us. That the ultimate giants of life, death and sin and Satan, Jesus defeated them and imputes to us the victory. Last thing we'll talk about is this. Well, how do we access this? How do we activate what Jesus did on the cross? How do we activate all those things I just mentioned? And at the end of 1 Peter, we'll turn there, and we'll just identify what's happening here in 1 Peter. Peter's writing to a community of believers who are struggling, that, that life is hard, and he gives them some help. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. It starts, it starts like that. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I believe with all my heart that we underestimate the enemy and we casually go about our day. We omit time in the Word in the morning, and we think we're overconfident. We think that the enemy is insignificant, and Jesus makes it crystal clear, the Bible makes it crystal clear that the enemy will take down as many as possible. We, listen, we don't want to think, we don't think this way. We don't want to think about the worst. Um, in my eighth grade history class, we're at, right now we're in World War II, and people, you know, the eighth graders, they always want to ask about, you know, the things that were going on in Germany during the 1930s in World War II time period. And what, you know, what, how could that happen? What with the Jewish people in the concentration camps? Well, it, you know what? It's human nature to not ever think that things are that bad. And I'm telling you, the, according to the Bible, Things are really bad, and it's worse than we think. Because the Bible says this, that sin is crouching low. It's hiding, and it's waiting for just the right moment to pounce on you, to create an argument with your spouse, to create temptation, accusation, to bring you down. We have to realize this, again, that our problems are not human nature alone. They are partially human nature, but according to the Bible, there is an invisible fight. Here's one way to think about this. And I, I meant to say this before we got into 1 Peter, but think about it this way. 
the invisible you is more important than the visible you. There's a, um, there's a movie called The Pianist. It's a, a German, again, World War II time period movie. It's about a German family that, that goes through um, the Warsaw Ghetto. Actually, it's about one man. His name is Vladek Spielmann. And there's a scene where he's with his family, and they're all walking to the train cars. And he says something, and I, we always stop every year and talk about this. He's walking with his sister, and, and he says this to her. He says, I wish I had known you better. And that's the last thing he says to his sister before she goes off to a camp and she dies. He survives, but he says, I wish I had known you better. He didn't say anything about the material things of the world. He didn't say, man, I'm so proud of you, what you accomplished in the world. I'm so, I'm so I'm glad that you are a, a great violin player or whatever the things we accomplish in the world. We have to remember this, is that our world, the way the world works, is it functions and thrives on the visible. And the Bible says that the invisible you is more important than the visible you. And that's why we have to start our days, according to 1 Peter, by putting on humility. Think about it like this for a second. This is a silly example, but I think it makes the point. Let's just say, hypothetically, you're married to a police officer. And the, police, and the husband's getting ready to go to work that day, and he doesn't put on his bulletproof vest. And the wife says, hey, honey, you didn't put on your vest. Please put on your vest. That's, it's going to keep you alive. And he says, it's okay, babe. I did my chest workout yesterday. I did a lot of bench pressing. My chest is it's legit. It's pumped. <laughs> Listen, that's about as stupid as how we live our lives by not focusing on the invisible you, by spending time in the Word, by saying, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, humble yourself before the Lord. Casting all of your anxieties on him. Listen, we all have anxieties, and you're going to put them on somebody or something. It's going to be booze or your buddies or somebody. Every person here has anxieties and stress that Satan will use. And Peter says this, humble yourself. That means you can't do it. You cannot fight sin. You can't fight Satan. They're too powerful. You have to go to Christ every day for the future of your marriage, for the future of your own life, for the future of your children, for the future of our church. Humble ourselves every day, casting our anxiety on Him. Then he says, Peter says this in verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Proud people, they won't open the word. They're too busy, right? And we use this all the time. Proud people say, I'm too busy. And I'll be honest with you, that's me sometimes. Humble ourselves because there's somebody out there that wants to destroy you. We don't want to think about this. We don't want to think about how bad it is. And what I'm saying again is that the enemy is real and he's worse than you think. 
Verse 9 says this, resist him. How? By being firm in your faith. Here's what that means. It means understanding what the Bible's about. It's about Jesus and what he's done for you. The Bible is about what God has done for you because the giants are too big. We can't do it on our own. Stand firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering you are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There's a unity here, and we all rely on each other. The story of David and Goliath fits in the whole theme of the Bible because David is a representative for the Jewish people, and his victory is credited to them, and that points to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He was our representative. We sang it this morning. He stood in our place. He took our place on the cross, overcomes death, overcomes sin, overcomes Satan, and credits that to us so that we can, as Romans 8 says, live without condemnation, that we can live with joy. Christianity should be a celebration. That there should be joy in our heart because we're alert, we're aware of what's going on in the world, that it's multidimensional, but Jesus Christ has conquered it. And that you can live with confidence, not in your own ability, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. In January, I think the church bought 40 or 50 of these books called, I forget the title, New Morning Mercies, I think, something like that. How are you doing on that? Are you taking a few minutes to read? Friday and Saturday readings were directly related to this. If you don't have one and you'd like one, I think there are two or three more in the back. We'd just love to give them to you. We believe that each moment, that life is too difficult for you to come to Sunday mornings only and to be encouraged, to be challenged, that you need to have time in your own life, that husbands need to be praying with your wives and praying with your families. The challenge is too real. It's too difficult. We need each day to go to Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we love you. Father, I pray that we would, as First Peter, as Peter writes in First in, in Peter, that we would be sober-minded, that we would be thoughtful people, that we would understand that the ultimate giants have been defeated. The victory has been achieved, that it's done, it's finished. And while we are waiting for the final, the final consummation of that, we ask for your mercy, Jesus, each day to live with humility, that we would come <coughs> allowing your word to dwell in our hearts. Father, I pray for each marriage here. Pray for the single people. Pray for the families that have kids the anxieties and the struggles we all face, that we would cast them upon you and we would not allow them to be used by the enemy. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.